This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Right now, perfect. Parsifal 5783, everybody. The Pusik says, Yud Beis Lamed Ches. Take me a long time to talk about these people. I am shocked that I didn't give this year up until this point. The Gam Erev Rav Alitam. The Erev Rav came with B'nai Yisrael. Vitsonu Bakar Miknei Kaveh Ma'od. As well as sheep and cattle. A lot of flocks. A lot of flocks came with them. And that's that. So the first question is going to be, who were these Erev Rav? Why is that their name? Why were they called the Erev Rav? Where did that come from and who are they? So Rashi and the Rashbam both say that it was an Erev, an Eruv, a mixture of Rav, many nations that went through Egypt. There were other nations there. It wasn't just Egyptians. They all converted over some point throughout the year, maybe at the very, very end, but at some point during the year they converted when the Egyptians started receiving the Makos, perhaps it had to do with Kriyas Yamsuf. It could not refer to the Egyptians themselves, they say. The reason why is because then the Pasuk would have said, V'gam Mitzriim Harbei Alu Itam. They wouldn't be called the Erevrav, they would be called Mitzriim. The fact that they are called the Erevrav shows they are from other nations and not Egyptians. That's the first part. Targumunkos and Targumunkos seem to say the same. They say, Nuchroin Sagin. Many nations, many different nations. Ibn Ezra says, the these were men from Egypt that mixed in with them. They were also called by the name Asafsuf later on in because they gathered to the Jews while they were leaving. All of this is indicating that something else. Some were Egyptians, but it was mostly people from other nations that saw what was going on, were shocked by what was going on, and got involved. Rabbi Victor Miller says a tremendous line. He says, the Makos were a source of knowledge for anybody who wanted to see it. After all, it was all Midi Kenegad Mida. The Jews saw it themselves. That's why it's called in Yeshaya Nagoferafo. It was a plague for the Mitzrayim, but a refua for the Jews. The Jews looked at it and they said, this is amazing. This is amazing. We're watching everything that happened to us happen right back to them. And they understood it. They understood why it was happening. They understood why God was doing it. It was like seeing their Hashkacha Pratis brought to life right in front of their eyes. So Victor Miller said, if you were there, you could gain in that knowledge. If you watched it, you saw the knowledge firsthand. Anyone that chose wisely and that looked at what was happening and said, there is a God in this world, there is someone in charge, deserved a great reward. However, these people were a huge liability for Klal Yisrael. A huge liability. They were held accountable for everything that happened there. They were involved in, if not the leaders of the Egel Azov. They were the Asaf Sufashir Bekirbam that later on had a Taiva that were involved. They were the complainers, the Misoninim. They were the ones who said, what are we supposed to eat? They're the ones who said, let's go back to Mitzrayim. That was the Erev Rab the entire time. They accepted the Torah along with B'nai Yisrael, although the Miyamalai says that they slept through the entire thing, but they didn't receive an actual portion in Eretz Yisrael because although there were some great things about them, they were missing out on the Iker. And that's basically going to be the year today. What exactly were the Erev Rav missing? What happened to them to make them the people that they were, these nations slash Egyptians that joined B'nai Yisrael? What exactly went wrong? So the Yalkaruveni, he brings down in number 95, he says, these people were the Egyptian sorcerers. They were the ones who saw Etzba Elohimhi. They said this was the finger of God, this is the hand of HaKadosh Baruch Hu by the Makos themselves, they were led by Yonus and Yambrus, also known by Yochanai and Mamre, the two sons of Bilam, who were their leaders when they left Mitzrayim. The Shachats, that they used to do their magic during the last 
three hours of the day, which is why they were known as the people of the evening. Not Erev Rav, as in Eruv, as in a mixture, but rather is the Erev. They were known for the evening because that's when they worked their magic. That's when they did everything that they did, right? And that's that. Apparently, there are two types of Erevs. The first three hours of the afternoon is called Erev Ma'at, and the second three hours of the afternoon, the lead up tonight, is Erev Rav. That's funny, right? But that's when they did their magic. Says the Shach, that's what they did over there. He says that this is why the word Allah went with them. It's Allah, singular, not Alu, which would be more appropriate for a group that came up with them. The reason why is because they, they seem to have been something like that. It's the Erev Rav, the people that use the Erev Rav, and that's Allah. So either way, he says, they came to Moshe Rabbeinu to convert. Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem what to do. HaKadosh Baruch Hu told them, told him, don't accept them. To which he said back, Ribona Shalom. They saw your greatness. They want to convert. How could I say no? He immediately accepted them as Gerim, even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu said don't. Even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu said don't. Now, there's a little bit more over here. The word Erev can be tra- translated as Eruv, like Rashi said, and it still works with this. The Shach says that there was a mixture of Kedusha that was left inside these people. The way they say it is Nitsotsos Hakadoshim. There were sparks of Kedusha that were within them that he was trying to bring back, that Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to bring back. That may be why Moshe Rabbeinu accepted them, even though Kodesh Baruch Hu said not to. Hashem said, they're not ready for this jump. If they jump in, things are going to be bad. But Moshe Rabbeinu said, if we do accept them and it works out, then this Kedusha is going to be so great and so huge and so awesome that it's going to help us in everything we do. These will be the best of the best. Some gerim are like a sapachas for Bnei Yisrael, like a blemish. And some gerim are the best thing for Klau Yisrael. They could be the absolute best. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem, I know that we're taking a chance here. I realize that this could be really horrible for us. But this could be unbelievable for us because of the amount of kedusha that they have. The upside was huge. And Moshe Rabbeinu was convinced that they would choose the right path after the Makos, after Kriya Samtuv, after Mountain Torah. He was convinced, and that's what the Shach said was his reasoning. He wanted them to be this spokespeople for Bnei Yisrael. Who knows if they were the ones who went to the round of the other nations to ask them if they would accept the Torah. Somebody did. Somebody went around. It could have been it was them saying what they were. Moshe saw that they could have been convinced. And maybe there were certain parts of the Erev that were convinced over here. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. Many of them were terrible and it didn't work out for Kali. So we got two questions. Yeah, Dave. Medrash, not in the Pesukim themselves, but in the Medrash. Right? Medrash says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, don't accept them. So, so I'll take blame is the exact wording. Like, so is that a thing? Can you not accept somebody who wholeheartedly wants to be... If they're wholehearted. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking deep down inside, the answer is yes. So why would Moshe, why would Moshe assume that he knows better than HaKadosh? Because the same thing that he thought by the Meraglim, the same thing he thought by Dustin Aviram, the same thing he thought by Micha. There's an upside here. The greatness of these people, if it's manifest, could be amazing. But... Micha didn't work out, Delson Aviram didn't work out, the Erevrav didn't work out, and the Meraglam didn't work out. There's a chance by each one of them for greatness, but there's something there. It's not a critique. It shows you his strength of character and what he really felt about the people. That Atu Yiram Milsa's Drussi in Legabe Moshe Milsa's Drussi, he mamish thought it was real by them. Shlomo, what were you going to ask? I was going to ask the same thing, but. Yeah. Right, because well, but he learned his lesson from that. You're right. In the beginning, he had his doubts, but then he ended up learning from Yago. Yeah. As much. Yeah. 
Post Torah, yes. Once we became Klal Yisrael, Avraminu didn't turn people away. Yaakovinu, possibly, it depends on Meshach Chachma, right? But Yaakovinu didn't turn away people either. It's possible that they brought in everybody. If Yitzchak Avinu's wells were yeshivas for people to learn, he didn't turn away anybody either. That there was this idea that went throughout Klal Yisrael, and who knows, maybe even went to the times of Brachos. We talked about this maybe a little bit before with Rabban Gamliel versus Rebbe Oz Menazariah. Rabban Gamliel's idea of only Tochom Keborim, you have to be a perfect person to learn. Rebbe Oz Menazariah added on many, many benches to bring them all in. Yeah. I would assume they got Brismila. I would assume so, yeah. I don't see why they wouldn't. Maybe they didn't get to eat the Korban Pesach, right? but I would assume they would. I don't, I don't have any rise for that. I, I, I don't know whether they got the first meal or not. That I can't say. The Shach gives another reason for why he did this. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu accept it? Adam Marishon's sin caused the fruit of the world to be covered by Klipos. It's an interesting line. But the fruit was surrounded by a shell because he did something wrong. That, so to speak, is the Tuma that surrounds the Kedusha that's everywhere inside the world. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Lama Kasim Abay, says that Adam Marishon was Moshech Baorlaso. When he did his chait, he caused an orla to cover up the kedusha of the world. He caused something to be appeal, so to speak. Something on the outside, and that's what the Gemara means over there. Most Rebbeinu saw the Bnei Yisrael at this moment were peros without klipos. They were a perfect nation, that there would be nothing wrong with them. And that's why, part of the reason why, Moshe Rabbeinu never gave them bris milas throughout the Midbor. He knew they didn't need it. They were a perfect nation at this point, and what they could have, especially because they received the Torah itself. When the Makos came to Klau Yisrael, it's the Klipos that were destroyed. Maybe that's the four-fifths of Bnei Yisrael that were gone in Makos Choshech. The Tumor was gone. The bad was gone. There was nothing left but the greatness about them. And that may be why Moshe Rabbeinu accepted the Erev Rav. So they would have Klipos among them. So when things went bad, it would go on the Klipos and not on the Peros. I don't want to say this in the wrong way, and I'm not positive I fully understand this, Shach. But it's possible that he purposely accepted them so that when things went wrong and he knew something would go wrong, the blame would be put on the Erevrav and not on Bnei Yisrael. The Meraglim, Tavera, Moseros, etc. See, we were looking at it before and we're saying the whole reason why those happened was because of the Erevrav. Had he not accepted the Erevrav, right, Bnei Yisrael never would have sinned. The way the Shach seems to be saying it is, no, 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 they weren't going to happen. The Ego was going to happen. Tavera was going to happen. Moseros what was going to happen and the Meraglim was going to happen but by having the Erev Rav there they took the brunt of the punishment they took most of it and Bnei Yisrael be spared and maybe that's why at the end of 40 years says the Shach none of the Erev Rav were left the Klipos were gone but by that time Bnei Yisrael had grown their own Klipos back that's when they had to get a bris meal again they had to change themselves to the war it's an unbelievable Shach in the Sefer Baal Shem Tev on the Torah, in Parsh Barashas, note 108, he says it's possible that the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu saw the eagle and the Macholos of, of, of Klau Yisrael, it's a terrible thing to see. He watched them do Avodah He was watching them sacrifice to a god 40 days after Matan Torah, after they had that. And therefore, he broke the Luchos afterward. He watched the Luchos break. Why was he, I don't say Zocha, that's not the right word. Why was he punished to see such a thing? It's because he brought 
the Erev Rav into Klal Yisrael, and he was responsible for anything they did from that point on. The proper tikkun of any person is when they learn the mistakes, learn their mistakes from other people, realizing that the reason why Kaddish Baruch who saw that made them see what they did is because of something that they themselves deserved. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu's involvement with the Erev Rav caused him to see those things in the future. It's a famous thing. If a person sees Chilol Shabbos, Chas Shalom, you see somebody, a, a Jew, being Mechalol Shabbos Bifarhesya, there's something that you deserve to see such a thing. There's a reason why you're watching it. There's a reason why Kaddish Baruch is putting it in front of your face. The question is, why? What do you need to work at? It's not about that person, which is usually how people get affected by. They say like, oh, and they take the rocks and they throw it at that person. It's about you. What did you deserve to see such a thing happen? Why is that there? And for that reason, I always wondered the following. I have no proof to this. The closest I got is at Sora Moore, which I'll show you in a second. I always wondered if the Erev Rav included Yosef's kids. Yosef had other children. It wasn't just Ephraim and Menashe. And we see that clearly from Yoshua, where Yoshua says all the other children that Yosef had are included within Menashe. I've always wondered, were those kids the other children from other wives and concubines that Yosef had as the king of Mitzrayim? We know that Mitzrayim, that Yosef Atzadik married Asnas, the daughter of Dina and Shechem. That we have, and we have Ephraim and Menashe from that relationship. He probably had other kids from Asnas, I would assume so. My idea is, and I'm not, again, I haven't seen it, I haven't seen it except for what I'll show you, is that there were other children. Did he have other concubines other kids, and those kids later on mixed in with the Mitzrayim and became part of the Egyptian nation? Are those the four-fifths of Bnei Yisrael that died during Makas Choshech? And that's why nobody noticed they were gone? Because they acted and were like Egyptians because they were Yosef's kids from Egyptian women that were involved in Mitzrayim and therefore they just kept going and those children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren all just went around and they were part of the Mitzrayim themselves. Maybe they had a bunch of kids and they went around and there was just this connection back to Yosef Atzadik. And some of them, some of them, joined Klau Yisrael in the end because they had a spark of Kedusha from Yosef. There weren't random Mitzrayim and maybe they were from other nations, but it's Yosef Atzadik's connection to them that allowed them to become the people that they were. Is that possible that that's the idea behind it? They were Balei Tshuva, so to speak. People that came back who always had that connection to Judaism. They just weren't exactly there because they never were. Yosef Atzadik was, was with them in some other way. I don't even know if I can say such a thing about Yosef Atzadik. Can Yosef Atzadik possibly have been together with the Egyptian women and not been punished for it? Was it maybe women that he married from other nations? And that were, that's what Rashi's hinting to. There were other nations who were connected to Yosef. They became the Erev Rav and they ended up leaving Mitzrayim with Bnei Yisrael. The closest I found to this is a Torah more who says, the Poshe Yisrael are filled with mitzvos like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. And he mentions this by the Erev Rav. He calls them Poshe Yisrael. Poshe Yisrael. Now, in some way, I could say the Torah more just means the Erev Rav were filled with sins. But even so, they gained more than they lost. They may have done a lot of bad things in their lives, but at least they were with Klau Yisrael. That's one way of looking at it. 
But it sounds like to me that he might be hinting to the fact that these people were Poshi Yisrael, that they were always involved with Yosef at some point, and they were gone, they left the fold, and now they were coming back. Maybe they never even knew. Maybe they had no idea. But they were somehow connected to Tzopnas Penech, to Yosef Atzadik, and now they came back. Absolutely no idea. And for that, I have a Megala Mukos that says that Yosef was able to be Lishbor Bar in Mitzrayim. And he says the word Bar is the same letters as Rav. Everything Yosef did in Mitzrayim caused the Kedusha of the Erev Rav to exist, and he's able to bring them out from Mitzrayim. The Bar, Beis Resh, is the Erev Rav. He said to the Shvatim, God sent me with Nechem in front of you, Rachayos Am Rav, to make a great nation. And maybe that's the Erev Rav. Again, up until now I thought, well, it just means that Yosef Atzadik was influential. He had that influence upon the nations. Those people that came to him, even the Egyptians knew that Yosef did such a great job. So 210 years later, when Bnei Yisrael left Mitzrayim, that Kedusha was still around. There was something that Yosef did that allowed them to be the Erev Rav to leave Mitzrayim. But I'm thinking, and I'm wondering, maybe this is more directly connected to Yosef. It is Yosef's kids. It's his grandchildren children, great-grandchildren, and great-grandchildren that left Mitzrayim, along with all of Kla Yisrael. And when they came to Eretz Yisrael, the Arab Rav wanted a people to go to. They wanted to be around somewhere, and they went to Menashe, Shevet Menashe. And maybe that's why Shevet Menashe had some people outside of Eretz Canaan, some people in, some people out. They had that extra space for the Arab Rav to be there. I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. I wish I could find someone that says it directly. I don't have anybody that says it directly. Just this Shura Mora Megala Mukas that are possible, possible ideas behind it. But in my mind, it sounds so right. It sounds so true. I would tell people that if not for the fact that it's a massive Kiddush, I would tell you the Erev Rav must be connected to Yosef Atzadik. And to that end, I already tried thinking to myself, so what about the name? Why would they be called Erev Rav? Why would that be their name? Rav, I get. Okay, Lishbor Bar. Maybe to connect with the fact that he said, Lachayos Am Rav. Maybe that's with Yosef. Where's the Erev come from? I don't have a great answer for it. Eruv, as in the fact that he mixed in with the other nations and married other, you know, concubines and women and therefore had these children. But a real answer, I, I'm waiting for it. I know there's an answer. I know there's a connection here. I just can't find it just yet. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> yeah, what's up there? So, originally you said that, you know, if somebody breaks Shabbos, but for Hestia, then you would like, for whatever reason, punish to have to see that. Yeah. It influences you. Yeah. So it works in the reverse also, right? You see something, like something, so you do a mitzvah or something, Kodesh happens. Kedusha, right. Seeing Kedusha should add Kedusha to you. Yeah, 100%. The sees the Makos, right? They're supposed to get something out of it, which helps them become the Arab. No, go for a foe, yeah. But then they get the Matan Torah, but they don't get the Matan Torah. Uh-huh. According to that, I'm always that they slept through it, right? It's a problem. But I will tell you, it's only one Shita that says that they didn't see it. I don't know if it's every Shita. There is one of the 50 miracles that the always brings that Erev Rav slept through all of Matan Torah. It's one of the 50 miracles. But I, I don't know if that's everybody. I, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like the Erev Rav saw it along with everybody else, just maybe further away from Klal Yisrael. But, I mean, but then you would assume that they would have been affected by that level. Of course, yeah, 100%. How can you sit in that situation? Because there still was something. It's even more so. They tried to find that Kedusha again. You know, sometimes you have that unbelievable experience. You do anything you can to try to get that experience again. Perhaps Erevav saw that experience and they said, we want to have that again. In order to do that, we have to see something. We have to have something in front of us. We have to have a little bit of a God in front of us that can do that for us. Maybe that was the problem that they had. All right, Nunu. Let me go and jump into what you said about the correlation between Yosef, which is obviously very similar to Shlomo. Yeah. But 
you also joined in Bilam's kids. So how did Bilam's kids fix it? Oh, that's a different story. At some point, Yonas and Yambras are going to have to be explained, but that's not for right now. Yonas and Yambras slash Yochanei Mamre. Yeah, they're, they're a big point. They're a big point. I just can't... Not yet. Not yet. Miam says the Egyptians at first urged the Arab Rav to leave. They told him, get out of here, so Bnei Yisrael would follow and get as far away from them as possible. That's what happened. They thought that the longer they stayed there, the more they would die. The Arab Rav, who had not been slaves or been through any oppression, again, according to Rashi, they were just people that were living in Mitzrayim, other people, other nations. They left immediately and Bnei Yisrael followed them, Right? I've always wondered this as well. When did Bnei Yisrael leave Mitzrayim? There's a Gemara in Brachos, Dav Testament Aleph, that says, Moed Seischam in Mitzrayim. The time that you left Mitzrayim is early in the morning, very early in the morning, right after sunrise. But on the other hand, there's a Rashi and Azinu that says, Be'etzimayomazed, that they left in the middle of the day. Could it be that the Erev Rav left early in the morning and Bnei Yisrael followed by the middle of the day? Is that the Pshat? Is that the idea behind it? Mianoli says it. I've always wondered about that. Maybe that's the idea behind it. I have a couple answers to that. I think I have it in a Shirin Yaakovini says, when Paro let the Jews go to the Midbar, many of his advisors complained to him that this is the wrong thing to do. If only the Jews had left, that would be fine. But the Arab Rav went with them, they said. They didn't care about the Jews. The Arab Rav were filled with skilled artisans and different people. Those are the people that we need back here in Mitzrayim. There's many wealthy men that left with them. The wise men, maybe even the Khartoumim, as we just said. The, the, the people of Paro that were in charge of the magic and everything like that. They said, well, how can we let them leave? And that's when Paro began to regret his decision. And he said, Oy vey, it's not about B'nai Yisrael, it's that the Erev Rav left. The Rokeach says, Vigam not only includes the Erev Rav, but Bisya, the daughter of Paro, and her children. We have no idea if this is referring to Bisya being married to Kalev and therefore having children with him, if that's what it refers to, or referring to something else, that all these conversions, remember the Khartoumim translated the dream of Paro with the seven cows and the seven, seven sheaves of wheat, and they said seven daughters will be captured and taken away. Maybe that refers to this, that Bisya and other people left Mitzrayim and Paro was left bereft of his family, those that were left, because obviously some of his kids died. Paro. So, yeah? That's, that's Yosef's time. That's a totally different Paro. I, it doesn't matter, because we're dealing with Paro, per se. So we'll, we equate them all together. It do, yeah, it doesn't matter. That would be a memory of something that would be there. Yeah, the same way of sorry, Menu. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It doesn't matter if it's not the same paro. It's the idea of paro altogether. That doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, should not make a difference whatsoever. And that's that. There's a lo that's referring to them, etc. The Rabbeinu Yol said, okay, we don't have to go into that Rabbeinu Yol. There were many of these people. Listen to this medrash. What a crazy medrash. Targum Yonason says there were two point four million Erevrav that left with them when they left Mitzrayim. I want you to think about that for a second. Two and a half million Erevrav, let alone the possibly two and a half million Jews. Five million people left. Now, this is actually a machlokus in the Mechilta. Rabbi Akiva holds that it was that many. Rabbi Yishmael says it was half of that, 1.2 million, a measly 1.2 million. And Rabbi Nelson says it was 3.6 million. 3.6 million. Right? There was another gear in the Yaakov anyway it says 1.4, 1.2, 1.6. Either way, this is a huge amount of people. There's not like 50 people. You know what I'm saying? Like a bunch of guys are just like, hey, we'll go. It's not like that. A million people leaving, two, three million people leaving? That's crazy. That's crazy. This is like the population of some countries. And all of these people are just leaving to go with B'nai Yisrael. Now look, 
I understand that we've said at different times that when it comes to Nisham as a Klai Yisrael, you're creative and certain people could be worth more. Like Yair ben is worth 36 people. There are some people that are worth more than what their actual person is. When you say 36 people died, that could refer to a great man like Yair ben Menashe. But are the Arab Rav that great? They, they could be considered 2.4, 1.4, or to 1.6 million? This is crazy. This is a huge amount of people. The Rokeach says the word is from the word Vigam. Vigam. Gam is to double the amount of Bnei Yisrael. Bnei Yisrael is 600,000. They were doubled, so it's 1.2. Vigam, the extra Vav, is to double that. 2.4, maybe even 3.6. It's crazy, though. That's the idea behind it. So maybe that was the problem. Maybe Moshe Benu did not want to accept all of them. And Hashem said, don't take all of them. Moshe Rabbeinu only wanted to accept some of them and said, I've got to take some of them. But everyone came with, and that's where I think Jonas and Yambrus got thrown in with them. Not that they were the, they ended up becoming the leaders of the Arab Rav, but not that they were the Iker. The Iker had been the other people. But somehow they got thrown in and everybody was there and that's there. So if Schwab asks a really interesting question, he says, we always praise Kalah Yisrael. Lechteich acharai bamidbor be'eretz lo They came after me in the desert in a land with no plants whatsoever. They were willing to follow me. They were willing to follow me, even though they knew there was no food there. They came after me. But why are we praising Klal Praise the Arab Rav. The Arab Rav came out with numbers bigger than Klal Yisrael. Even if it's just 1.2 million, more Arab Rav left than B'nai Yisrael. And I know I'm not including the women and children, etc. But the numbers are right there. What in the world? Zacharti la chesed nuraich, Zacharti la chesed of the Erev Rav, says Rav Schwab. What in the world is kind of, what kind of an answer is this? So he answers. The Erev Rav assumed the Bnei Yisrael were going to go Derech Eretz Plishtim. The easiest way to Eretz Canaan from Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim's right here, the easiest way to Eretz Canaan would be going right like that, going up from the river of Egypt, which right now is the Suez Canal, near the river of Egypt of whatever it was back then, the Suez Canal going straight through the little area, Mediterranean Sea right here and the Sinai Peninsula down here, go up right there through the Pleshim and go into Eretz Canaan. They assumed it was going to be a two or three day trip, not a 40 year journey. B'nai Yisrael knew they couldn't assume anything. When they went toward the Yamsuf and Moshe Rabbeinu led them around in the desert a little bit to full Paro, B'nai Yisrael were like, okay, this is what God wants us to do. But the Erev Rav couldn't understand it. Why are we going this way? We were supposed to go up that way. That's the idea. They didn't leave because they wanted to join B'nai Yisrael learning Torah and being in the desert. They left because they wanted to get out of a destroyed nation. They wanted to be away from everything that was going on in Mitzrayim. They saw the Makos. They were like, I don't know when this is going to end. The whole nation is in shambles. We don't belong here. We'll go with you guys. We're fine with you guys. That's what they went for. So Zacharti Lachas and Uraich is that Bnei Yisrael were willing to go wherever Hashem took them, and it didn't matter where. Wherever you want us to take you, wherever you want to take us, we're perfectly fine with it. But the Arabs only left because they thought it was going to be a short journey. And when they saw that it wasn't, many of them left. And it's possible that those are the people. Remember how Paro had spies? Maybe 1.2 million people left, but only 100 people stayed. Maybe one and a half million or one whatever it is million went back after they saw They're lost. They're gone. And they joined Paro's army and they came back to fight the Jews in the end. Yes, 1.2, 2.4, 3.6 million people went with B'nai Yisrael when they first left Mitzrayim. But when they saw they weren't going up to Arachat's Pleshim, they came back, they fought against them, and were all lost in Kriyas Yamsuf. Who remained? Some of them. I don't know how many. Not that many. And that answers another kasha. There's a medrash that Yonus and Yambrus fought against B'nai Yisrael in the Yamsuf. 
They fought against Bnei Yisrael in the Amsuf, and they were grabbed by a hand out of the Am and thrown into the Am when they tried flying away. For Jonas and Yambus were part of the Erevrav. Jonas and Yambus are mentioned by the Medjish as being part of the Erevrav. Maybe the Pshat is exactly this. They joined the Erevrav, then went back and were killed when they came back after Klau Yisrael. The ones that had once been with them left and they'd be able to come back. Maybe that's the idea behind it. So Rav doesn't say all of that. That's my addition to Rav But I think that that might be the idea behind it. There were a few that remained and converted. Those are the ones that were accepted by Moshe Rav. Now that's the era of Rav that we know. And they were still bad. They still caused the Egel Azav. They still were the Asaf Sufa Bum. They were still bad people. But there were era of Rav that were within them Right? And there were others that were a little bit different. There were others a little bit different. Okay. And as Naimla Torah says, one of the best Divrei Torah that I've heard in a long time. It's an unbelievable Torah Torah. I used it at a Shepherd Brothers this week. I'm using it at a Bar Mitzvah this coming up Shabbos. Like, this is an unbelievable idea. He says from the Vilna Gon, and this is a famous Vilna Gon, the Malba mentions this, the, the Ksabah Kabbalah says it. Everybody says there's a difference between Im and S. Im and S. Im as in Ayin Mem, and S is in Aleph Saf. They both mean with. Both of them mean with. But the difference is, Im means we're both going in the same direction, heading in one way, and we're getting there together. I'm going to do it with you. S means we're both going in the same direction, but I'm going this way, you're going that way, we're going to meet over here. We're not going together, we just happen to be people in the same place. I said the vort for Shabbat Rachus is that we bless the chasan im hakala, not s hakala, not to be together with the kala. We'll end up in the same area, but you go this way and I'll go that way. That's never going to work. It's im hakala. You're going together with the kala. You'll be in the same direction the entire way through. This, the Oznayim Latorah, is exactly what the problem with the Erev Rav were. What was their issue? B'nai Yisrael wanted to vacus. B'nai Yisrael wanted Matan Torah. B'nai Yisrael wanted to do something for the proper reasons. So they went with B'nai, with a Kaddish Baruch Hu in the right way. The Gam... Erev Rav Allah Itam. Not Imam. Ayin Mem Mem. Itam is Aleph Tuf Mem. They went with them. Yeah, sure, we're willing to go out of Mitzrayim, but we're not going for the same reasons. B'nai Yisrael is going because they want to be with God. We're going because we got to get out of Mitzrayim. Says the Oznayin Torah. that's the Pshat. That's the idea behind this. The Ksav Sofer quotes the Mechilta that the Erev Rav coming with us accomplished the Pusik that was said to Avram, you know, with the Brisbane of some years ago, the Achrechein Yetzubur Kush Gadol. When B'nai Yisrael leave, they'll have riches with them. What a strange thing. They did have riches. They borrowed riches from the Egyptians, right, taking it, and they did find it at Kriyas Yamsuf. They had riches there. But says the Ksav Sofer, based on the Mechilta, they were the riches. How were they riches? Says the following. Says Chazal tell us that Biza Sayyam was greater than what they took out of Mitzrayim when they borrowed the, the, the money. It was much greater having the Biza Sayyam. That means they never had the Rechush when they left. But the Erevrav ran out without any of their stuff. When the Erevrav saw B'nai Yisrael leave, they said, we're coming with you. They had zero time to prepare. Then Esau at least got to borrow the money the day before Moshe Rabbeinu told them to borrow money so they had stuff with them. The Erev had nothing. In comparison to the others, if you looked at Bnei Yisrael, that at least they had the riches that they borrowed. The Erev Rav left with nothing. In comparison, Bnei Yisrael had a Rechush Gadol. When you look at one versus the other, if you compared one to the other, then you could see that. There's the Alku Gershoni that's very similar to that, but that's that. Okay. But we're totally ignoring the end of the Pasuk. What's the end of the Pasuk? 
At the end of the pasuk, it doesn't just mention the erev rav. It says There was also animals. There were animals with them. What exactly is the shot beyond the animals themselves? So the Sforno says that Sonu Bakr was from the Erev Rav. They had those animals. They came with all their pe- possessions, unlike the Ksavs over there just said. The insinuation is that B'nai Yisrael didn't have many animals. Now, the truth is, that kind of does make sense, right? If you're a slave, do you think you'd have a lot of animals? Why would B'nai Yisrael have any animals at all? Why would Paro let them have it? It makes sense that where did they get animals from? From the Erev Rav. They didn't have any of their own. So they brought it out from the Erev Rav, and that's how they got. That's the Sforno, and that's how he says it. Now, how did they have animals if Dever should have wiped it out? Right? Dever should have wiped out all their animals over there. There's a bunch of answers to this question. First of all, Dever didn't wipe out any, everything. The Sefer Yasha says it wiped out 90% of their animals. Right? So it's possible that those are the 10% that was there. Some people were able to keep their animals, and maybe the Erev Rav, for the majority, they had it. However, that wouldn't explain the word Kaved Ma'od, which sounds like they had quite a bit more than what they had before. It could be that these people were from other nations. The Egyptians' animals died. The other nations did not. That's another answer that's possible. Rip Schwab suggests that maybe Parom, by extension, all the Egyptians, bought new animals after Makas Dever, and that's how they had animals by Barad, where they were told, keep your animals inside or they'll be hit by the hail. Maybe that's the idea behind it. Maybe that, that, that's how they had everything. There's a couple answers to that. That could be. However... That doesn't seem to be the idea that everybody agrees with, that the animals belong to the Erev Rav. Miamloe says, no, the animals, they joined, the whole point of this was to show how they joined Klai Yisrael. The Ananea Kavod allowed B'nai Yisrael to fly through the Midbor as if they were on moving escalators. Not the moving escalators that you have in like, you know, uh, the C section of United at O'Hare, you know, where it's super slow and you just watch those lights go above you. Right, not that one. That's way too slow. The moving escalator that moved them 120 mil in one day. 120 mils around 60 miles in one day. That they were able to fly. But wait a second. If they flew, how did the Erev Rav join them? The answer is, just like the animals. The animals didn't deserve to be in the Ananiya Kavod, and yet the animals kept up with them, miraculously. The Erev Rav were like the animals of the Jews. Just like the animals joined them, the Erev Rav also joined them. According to this Miam Lois, it's clear that the animals that came with them were obviously from the Jews themselves. It didn't belong to the Erev Rav. It belonged to the Jews themselves. More than that, the Nitzv also says that the Erev Rav, the Erev Rav didn't bring any animals. The animals all belonged to the Jews over here. There were many Egyptians who realized that the animals that belonged to Jews lived. They sold their animals to the Jews and then they died at Makas Bechoros. So the Jews kept those animals and never lost them and those are the animals that they kept on the way out. It also could be that just like that, the Ksav Sofer says, Paro never took animals away because it was even more of a pain for them. Think about this. You're my slaves, but I'm giving you your animals. I want you to feel like you're rich, but can't use your wealth. I want you to be able to have wealth and not use it. So Paro purposely left them with animals, but wouldn't allow them to shek them. He purposely left them with animals and said, but you can't shear the wool. You can't do anything with them. And that made them feel worse about what they had and what they weren't allowed to do. That was a tactic that he used to make them feel bad about themselves. Shlomo, what were you going to say before? It could be from the Erev Rav, though. That's not a Raya. Hold on. The Korban Pesach they took from the Mitzrayim. That's clear as day. That's clear as day. They did not take their own animals. Mishku Chuchulachem. That's a clear Raya. Right, to take them from the Ovdea Vodazara. It's to take them from there. 
No, that's for sure the pshat. The for sure the pshat is they took them away from the Egyptians because it was their gods and they took them away from them and brought them in. But I, there's no riot that it was actually Bnei Yisrael's sheep, is there? No, in Pasha, I, I, I understand it. That's not a riot. That they, I, I don't see how that's a riot either way. I don't see how that's a riot either way. For sure, the shot is that they took it away from the Egyptians and the Egyptians didn't say anything. Right? That's the idea behind it. But where else? Where else do we see it? But they didn't take any. But they didn't. They didn't. Unless it was through the people who sold them their stuff so they wouldn't be whatever it is and those animals they never brought back and they took them out. That, that's the idea behind it. We don't see the animals being given over to Klaistral. We see the smolos and we see the gold, the clay chesed of a clay zob. We don't see the Egyptians giving them animals. We don't see it. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that they had a lot. That, again... Again, I, it, there's no riot. If you want to, the Sforno could still make sense within that context. There's no riot against it. That doesn't mean, that's not there. Yeah, but the most, again, animals that were being used for Corbanos obviously would be allowed into the Ananiya Kavod. But the animals as a whole, the flocks were not in the Ananiya Kavod. It's clear they were in the corners, right? Because you had the three Shvatim here, three Shvatim here, three Shvatim here, three Shvatim here, and the animals were in the corners, right? That seems to be obvious. And the Erev Rav as well. The animals and the Erev Rav hang out together because they were alike. Like they would have been in the same areas, right? But of course you could bring an animal in like you could bring Yisro in, but you couldn't normally have the animals. The animals weren't hanging out with the Jews in the tents. That would be make it even worse living around there. I'm sorry? Yeah. So why wouldn't they have animals? It's a possibility. It's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Shiva Levy did have that. I mean, it doesn't seem like Shiva Levy was specifically, they were like the, the what's it called of, of Mitzrayim. They were supposed to be the priests. They were the teachers and the leaders and whatever it is. They wouldn't be Rowan. They just wouldn't be Rowan. They could have had some, right? It, just, it seems like it's either all of Bnei Yisrael or none of Bnei Yisrael. Like, those are the two opinions. Either all of Bnei Yisrael had, and Paro was doing it on purpose, or none of Bnei Yisrael had. They got it from the Erev Rav, or they took it from the Mitzrayim at the very, very end. One of those two. Or they got something. Like, there was something there. Mayan Torah says that one time Rabbi Ki-Ager visited a certain base medrash in Warsaw that was known as the base medrash for future Rabbanim. Right, that was what it was known for. So he tested them, and he realized they had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. There was like a bunch of Amirats in there. They, they it felt like they had never learned before in their lives. Now, I will, as a timeout, say they probably still knew a billion times more than anybody today. <laughs> but nonetheless, Rabbi Kivager felt these were not future Rabbanim of Klal Yisrael. They just didn't know enough. The head of the yeshiva told him when he was testing, and he obviously looked upset. He said, "Don't forget, this is just a Pesach." to when they're going to become real rabbis. They're not real rabbis yet. Eventually, they'll become these real rabbis and help Klal Yisrael. Rabbi Kivyager was not impressed. He said, before Shabbos, we have something called Erev Shabbos. It doesn't have the status of Shabbos. It just comes in right before, and you get to prepare for Shabbos during that time. If you're telling me that these people are preparing to become Rabbanim, then these people are called the Erev Rav, the Erev of the Rav in order to get themselves prepared for what they need to do. So that's how he ended up making fun of them. I don't know what ended up happening, you know, if like, those guys ended up being like Revel Yashif or something. Like, <laughs> you'd love to hear like the end of that story and like who these people became. But apparently that's what it was like. That's what Rabbi Kivir when he w- ended up going to Warsaw. All right, guys. Shkaf, everybody. We'll stop with this. Have a great Shabbos.